Let's stand as we read the word of the Lord together this morning. Psalm 51, hear together the word of the Lord today. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, nor I, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered. I sort of have just titled it for myself, and maybe it's helpful for you, our greatest service, and that is witness and worship. For there is a public side to repentance. There is an outworking of repentance that moves from our wrestling with God and our dealing with God to the way then that we now conduct ourselves with other people. And so David touches about on both of those sorts of themes. And the first thing that I wrote down in my notes is repentance is complete when it moves from our heart to our mouths. Repentance is reflected in our worship. Listen again as we read verses 13, 14, and 15. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open the lips, or open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You see how his repentance has now moved from his heart to his lips and to his mouth. Uh, you start verse 13, and most of your Bibles will have in there, the beginning of verse 13, the little word, then. Many of your Bibles will have then in italics. Um, that's because it is not in the original Hebrew language. It is an interpretive addition to the text to help with the flow um, and to help with a little bit of interpretation. I happen to believe that it's a correct decision because it introduces us now to the response of repentance in our heart. For, for, for all intents and purposes, the repentance has now been worked out in David's life. So now this is his response to that. And likely what David is saying as he gets here is that this is too good for me to keep to myself. 
that God is exploding his grace and his mercy within me, and I need to tell other people about this. His experience is motivating him now to witness and to tell others what God has done for him. Some of you who are teachers, who, if you've ever had the opportunity to teach, you know it's always easy and, 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 and better when you teach out of experience than when you teach just raw facts. If you've ever had somebody just teach theology to you, it can be kind of dry and it can be kind of boring. But if you have somebody teach theology that they have experience that comes from their heart and their relationship with God, there is a warmth to it. There is a, a personal reality to it that gives it life. And so David, out of his experience of repentance, is now coming to teach individuals. He can't keep silent any longer. He is overflowing with what God has done for him. Verse 13, I will teach. Verse 14, I will sing aloud. Verse 15, open my lips and my mouth will declare. He is just overflowing with gratitude for what God has done to him. Some of you might recall the story in Mark chapter 5 about uh, the, the Gerizim, and I can never really say it right, the Gerizim demoniac. Um, as Jesus was leaving the tribes of Israel, he was going into the land of the Gentiles, and we got to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, they were confronted by this man who was just full of demons. And in the course of Jesus' interaction with this man, he cast out the demons from him. The demons went into a herd of pigs, the herd of pigs was sort of rushed over the side of a cliff. People were pretty ticked off. They were pretty afraid. And they said to Jesus, you need to get out of here because we don't know what to do with you. As Jesus was leaving to get into the boat, this man who God had done so much for through Jesus came and said, I want to go with you. This is what Jesus said to him. No. Go home to your family. And tell them everything that the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man went off to visit the ten towns of the region and began to proclaim the great things that Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. He didn't have a lot of theology. He hadn't heard any of Jesus' sermons. But he knew what God had done for him. He had experienced the grace and the mercy and the transformation of God and out of the overflow of his heart, he spread what God had done, and everyone was amazed. You look at verse 13, and it says, Then, after he'd been forgiven, after he'd been purged, after he'd been cleansed and restored and renewed, he says, I will teach transgressors your ways. In other words, I will teach them about your law. I will teach them about what your standards are. And then he says, sinners will return to you. Beloved, this is evangelism. This is plain and simple how you or I and I are to communicate the good news of the gospel to those who don't yet know or to those who have fallen away and are living in rebellion. We simply tell other people what God has done for us. When is the last time you've shared with another person what God has done for you? When is the last time that you've gone out and sat across the the coffee table at Starbucks or at Tim Hortons and said, you know, for the last couple of months, my life was full of anxiety and I went to bed and I couldn't sleep at night because I was worried and then I took it to God and God did this amazing work in my life and I don't have any anxiousness anymore and share with them your experience of the deliverance that God has done for you. 
Or maybe you've had an experience of the grace and mercy of God and how you were deep in depression because of actions and behaviors that you've gone through. And then God has all of a sudden given you forgiveness and, and given you repentance and you sit down with this person and you say, you know, I didn't know what to do. But I went and I talked with God and God worked in me and he forgave me and he, he made me right with him and I have this joy once again. Let me tell you how you can have that joy as well. Loved ones, when is the last time that you have shared your experience of what God has done for you with somebody else? David says when we do that, sinners will repent and turn to God. Second thing that we see is not only does repentance lead to evangelism, but there's also a, a weight that comes with repentance. And in verse 14, it's, a, it's an interesting verse, and uh, depending on which translation you read, you can tell that what the translators are having trouble trying to make sense of what is being written here. Some of the, the verses will say something along this lines, forgive me for shedding blood, or forgive the guilt of, 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 of my um, shedding of blood. In other words, what they say is that David is saying, I have this horrible guilt because I have killed Uriah. And we might look at it in another sense. Um, in, in the book of Genesis, when uh, Cain had killed Abel, God comes to talk to Cain and he says, the blood of Cain is crying out to me. In other words, there was real guilt because of the murder that he had committed. That is one way that we might look at this, that as David experiences this forgiveness, then out of that he will sing for joy of the righteousness of God. But I think David has already experienced that forgiveness. David has already expressed that in the first 12 verses. Now he is talking about the overflow of his repentance. So I think a way that we can also look at this is he's saying, save me from blood guilt. He's saying to, to God, help me now be a man who doesn't keep this to myself. Help me be one who is not keeping private what you have done for me. He's saying, I want to be like the prophet Nathan. I want to be, though, be one who will risk and tell other people that they need to turn their lives over to God. You think of this, it's illustrated in the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel in chapter 3, verse 17 to 19 says this, Son of man, I've made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning for me. When I say to a wicked person, you will surely die, and you do not warn them or speak out to dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save their life, that wicked person will die for their sin, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do not warn the wicked person and they or if you do warn the wicked person and they do not turn from their wickedness or their evil ways, they will die for their sin, but you will be saved yourself. It's demonstrated in the prophet Nathan. I don't know if you've ever had to confront somebody, somebody who has great authority and power over you. It's not an easy thing to do. Here is Nathan coming to a man who has just ordered the death of one of his 30 best men. And David is coming, or Nathan is coming to David to speak to him and to say, you are that man who has so wronged another. Or maybe it's something that's illustrated in the book of Samuel, and it was a warning that was ignored by Eli the priest. God saying to Samuel, or to Eli through Samuel, I will declare to him 
that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Loved ones, we have a responsibility to warn people. We have a responsibility when God opens our eyes to see the direction that somebody is walking in that is not good for them spiritually to speak to them. And I wonder if that is what David is praying here. Now that I have experienced repentance, now that I have been sort of plucked from the clutches of death, so to speak, deliver me from a careless attitude to others who are walking down the same path. Help me be one of those that Jude talks about who snatches them out of the fire, so to speak. So out of the heart of repentance flows this witness This witness to tell other people about the ways of God. This witness to warn other people about the ways that they might be walking in. And so we should be praying too, Father, would you give us opportunities to speak of the good things that you have done for me? May we give life to others because we have experienced life ourselves. A second thing that we see in this particular psalm is in verses 16 to 17. Not only does repentance impact our verbal testimony, but repentance transforms us on the inside out. It's real when it changes our hearts, when it impacts the way that we worship God. Look at what he says in verse 16. Difficult verses in some ways. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You won't be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God you will not despise. As I wrestled with these verses these last couple of weeks, and particularly these last couple of days, I still don't know if I understand them entirely, but let me share with you at least how I've come to wrestle with them and what God has been um, opening my eyes to understand. The first thing is I noticed that there's evidence of what God doesn't want. Of what God doesn't want. Beloved, God doesn't want show. God is not impressed with external acts of religious performance. God is not concerned about um, our giving and our church attendance and those sorts of things if our heart is a mess. And in this particular circumstances, the sacrifices of bulls and goats could not do anything to forgive David of his sins. God would much prefer that he was obedient rather than he would offer sacrifices. And so when we think about what David is saying here, maybe I think he's saying a couple of things along these lines, is that sometimes we can fool ourselves into thinking that our external acts of worship are pleasing to God, when in fact they are a substitute for doing what is right. In Psalm 40, verse 6 we read there that God doesn't desire sacrifices or offerings. In fact, he doesn't even require them. What God delights in is that we do his will, that we feast upon his word. And what really frustrates God and angers God is when our religious practice replaces our conformity to his will. Loved ones, if you are not walking in obedience to God, he doesn't give a rip about your giving or your church attendance or any other religious acts that you perform. See, religion can never replace a right heart. He also, I think, might be saying that sometimes we can use our religion as a way 
a, a cover for doing what is actually wrong. If you have an opportunity today, you might want to read uh, the first chapter of Isaiah. Because there we have people who were sinning with great lack of restraint. And yet we're still coming before God with all the prescribed sacrifices and offerings. This is what God says to them. I've had enough of your offerings. I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls. Bring your worthless offerings no more. Your incense is an abomination to me. In verse 11, we realize that to the Lord, our religious ritual means nothing. That it adds nothing to our relationship with him. And that it does nothing. Rather, he says, wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil deeds from myself. Stop doing evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. See, sacrifice should never be a cover for sin. In another story, which is very familiar with us, of, of the king, King Saul, uh, as he had been commanded to wait for, for Samuel, and he had commanded to go and, and utterly destroy everything in this particular community. And we read about how he disobeyed God and how he allowed the people to collect all the sheep and all the oxen. And when Samuel found out about this, he comes to Saul and he says this to him. He says, Has the Lord as great a delight in birth, uh, burnt offerings and sacrifices? As in obeying the voice of the Lord, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. Loved ones, it matters far more to God that you obey his word, that you obey what he speaks to you, that, he, that you listen to the voice of his spirit leading and guiding and directing you it matters far more than you do, that you do that than you are religiously here every Sunday or that you give of your offerings or that you serve in the church. God doesn't want religion. God wants relationship. There's one more passage and I would leave it to you to read, but it's the sort of the the culmination of all of this, of why God doesn't want sacrifice and of why God wants obedience, and it's found in the life of his son, Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 10, and I'll only read a portion of it, but I commend it all to you today sometime to read. For since the law has but a shadow of good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. See, sacrifices don't have any internal impact on us. He says, otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have to offer any or would no longer have a consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. There's nothing. What can make me white as snow? Not my giving, not my church attendance, not my missions work, not my service in the church. What can make me white as snow? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, 
But a body have you prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sin offerings you have not taken pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as is written of me in the book of of the scroll. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, he then added, Behold, I have come to do your will. What God doesn't want is religion. What God doesn't want is external acts of show. But what does God want? Look at verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Beloved, that's what God wants. He wants your heart. He wants a heart that is soft and supple before Him. He wants a heart that has got all of the pride squeezed out of it. He wants a heart that has got all the arrogance of life squeezed out of it. He wants a heart that says, you know what's best for me, God. You know how best to lead and direct my life. A couple passages that may be illustrative to us. In Joel chapter 2, verse 12, we read, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. I love that. Not just a little bit of your heart. Return to me with all of your heart. With fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. And then listen to this. And rend your heart, not your garments. See, what God is talking about there again is that we are very good at external shows of religion. And often, people, as a sign of mourning, they would tear their garments and they would throw stuff on their head. But that was necessarily not an indication of their heart. What God says is, I want you to to rend your heart. I want to see a sign of mourning in your heart. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and He relents over disaster. What about Isaiah 66 too? Beautiful passage of scripture. All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. I don't know about you. I want to be that one. I want to be the one that Lord, the Lord looks at. This is what he says. This is how he describes them. He is humble. He is contrite in spirit. And finally, let this settle in your heart. And he trembles at my word. I have come to do your will, O God. I tremble at your word. That's what God looks for. That is what God wants in us. Hosea 6.6, for I desire steadfast love not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. It's another way of saying, I want obedience. I want a relationship. I don't want ritual and show and religion. I think David had realized that he had fallen into that trap. He had been 
giving all these sacrifices, he had making sure that his priests were making sure that there were burnt offerings morning and night and they were doing the feast, and yet he was lusting after and committing adultery with Bathsheba. He was harboring hatred and murder in his heart towards Uriah until he finally killed him. He recognized that the external show could be a cover for a deep, dark heart. And so as he comes out of repentance, he says, God, I now know that what you want is a humble and a contrite heart. I want you to do my will. As we come then to the Lord's table today, we recognize this is a beautiful table because it's a table of repentance. But it's a table that also illustrates these two things that we've been talking about this morning. Because out of our, our, our repentance and our participation in this table, remember what, this, what, what Paul says? And so you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Beloved, out of your repentance, now will come proclamation as you participate in the Lord's table. But even this can become an act of religion. Even this can become show. Even this can be something that we do because people are watching us. But what does Paul say? Let a man examine himself. God would much rather that you have a heart that is pure and clean than that the people around you here today see you participating in the Lord's table. So out of repentance flows witness and true worship. May God help us both witness and worship him in these next few moments together.